Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 33. My name is Philip, and I will be your host for this episode. We begin today with Passage in Prayer with Pastor David Beckman. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord God, sometimes I have a hard time believing your promises. Goodness following me all the days of my life? What about all the bad days I've had? What about all the pain and suffering? How can you tell me that goodness follows me all through my life? I've seen some pretty dark days. But I guess that's the problem. I'm looking at what I have seen rather than what you see. Open my eyes to see beyond my own concerns to your greater plan. Take me to the cross where I see your greatest good brought about in the suffering and death of Jesus. Let me see ever more clearly that I am part of that plan, that your goodness and your love have reached down in Christ to cancel my guilt and make me fit for heaven. Make my most important goal to dwell in your house forever. Help me to look forward to that goal with great eagerness and joyful anticipation. Let Christ's resurrection blast away my doubts and lift my eyes to my heavenly goal with an ever-growing confidence. In all of life's darkest hours, draw praise from my lips and joyful trust from my heart because you, my good and loving God, have promised that I will dwell in your house forever. Hear me for the sake of my living Lord Jesus. Amen. Next up, we have Apache Rain, a song written by Helen and Daryl Dupperpool and performed by Chris Dresbach on his latest album, One Cross, Three Nails. Tall tree clings to a dusty hillside The sun is hot and the winds are dry Its branches cast a welcome shadow On the weary people passing by But even in that shady refuge They sit and pant with a thirsty pain Their eyes look up to the cloudless heavens And long to feel the Apache rain When the lightning dances on the mountains And the thunder rolls through the canyons deep Bringing showers of cool, refreshing water And the ones who thirst find sweet relief But before too long the shower passes And the sun beats down with its heat again And the thirst once quenched begins its longing For another taste of Apache rain One day a stranger came to the hillside 
made his camp beneath the tree. To all who came, he told the story how Jesus died to set them free. For all those touched by the Spirit's message, their hearts were washed from sin's dark stain. Their thirst was quenched by the living water, like a cleansing shower of a patchy rain. Like the lightning dances on the mountains, and the thunder rolls to the canyons deep. So the Holy Spirit's healing message brings hopeless souls everlasting peace. The quenching taste of the living water never fades away, bringing thirst again. But it satisfies like a drink eternal, like an endless shower of a patchy rain. Then a father brought his children. And to the man beneath the tree, he said, "Please teach my sons and daughters the story you have told to me." So from that time through generations, the parents bring their children still, and the thirst no earthly water quenches. Living water always will, like the lightning dances on the mountains, and the thunder rolls through the canyons deep. The Holy Spirit's healing message brings hopeless souls everlasting peace, from loving families to their children. The good news flows like a sweet refrain, an endless stream of living water, like an endless shower of Apache rain, like an endless shower of Apache rain, like an endless shower of Apache rain. And now we join Pastor Tom Barthel with the Canaan-bound devotion. Call him laughter. Genesis 17, 15-22 God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her, so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, 
and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Sarai, too, gets a new name now. Sarah, princess. God attaches the promise of Abram's great number of offspring now to his wife Sarah, too, not just to Abram. Abraham laughed at the idea that this could ever happen. Not in mockery of the promise, but in amazement. Up until now, he already had a son, Ishmael, his firstborn. But could it be that God would confirm the promise as through Sarah? Would his wife now share with him in the joys of parenthood instead of laboring in jealousy against Hagar? How? It seems like such an extraordinary thing now. Ishmael was born naturally to a younger woman. But a child through my ninety-year-old wife? We've been trying and hoping for children for so many years. You can just see the laughter on Abram's face, laughter of joy. If someone were to tell you that death would be undone, that your decayed body would rise to life, if they were to tell you that you would live forever in that new and perfect body, if they were to tell you that you would see God with your own eyes, wouldn't you have to laugh at it all? It seems all too good to be true. Will I have all this with my frail body, which is destined to die? You will call him laughter. God's promises have a way of bringing that about. For those who believe it, it is a laughter of hope, relief, and unending joy. Next up, we have God's Word for You with Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 9, verses 25 to 35. Job says, My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. They skim past like boats of papyrus, like eagles swooping down on their prey. Job returns to the thought here that his days are racing by. A runner here is the kind of messenger who ran by without stopping to deliver royal or military news in 2 Samuel 18. The papyrus boats of Egypt were legendary. The hull had only one wooden component, the keel. The rest was made of coated papyrus. These lightweight craft were also used in in courier service in Isaiah 18. This is Job's way of saying that his life is out of control. Everything is whipping by like a blur. Verse 27 and following. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will change my expression and smile. I still dread all my sufferings, for I know you will not hold me innocent. Since I am already found guilty, why should I struggle in vain? Job can't grin and bear it, he says. He doesn't know what to do. If he can't argue with God or if he can't defend himself and if he can't just smile and let it all happen, then what can he do? What can he do that's different from what he's been doing? Verses 30 and 31. Even if I washed myself with soap and my hands with washing soda, you would plunge me into a slime pit so that even my clothes would detest me. I I think I'd like to examine the word soap here. The King James Version translated the Hebrew word seleg with snow water. Now, seleg does mean snow in many places, as in Exodus 4, where it's leprous as snow. And although modern Hebrew scholarship doesn't have the answer to every question about the Old Testament, we do know a few things today that translators 400 years ago weren't maybe aware of. Here, seleg is a parallel term to washing soda. 
And in other Hebrew documents, like the Mishnah, the term eslag means to soap something up. It's an old Akkadian word, um, aslaku, which means the same thing, to soap or to lather. So even if Job could do the best possible job of cleaning his hands, of washing himself of his guilt, as Pilate tried to do, notice also Jeremiah 2.22, he can't make himself clean by any amount of scrubbing. God's holiness just exposes our true inner guilt, no matter how sanitized we might think our skin seems. God's perfection only plunges us into the slime pit of our guilt. Verses 32 to 35. He is not a man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon us both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. Before I comment on this whole group of verses 32 to 35, I'd like to just say something about verse 35. The newest edition of the NIV translates, He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. Now, the Hebrew isn't that simple. In fact, being much simpler, it becomes actually pretty difficult. What we have in the first line of verse 32 is, is, a, is a phrase that breaks up like this, For not a man like me I might answer. There's no obvious subject. So it's either impersonal uh, about God, he, as almost all versions take it, or it's impersonal in another way, which could be, it is not the place of a man like me to answer him. But because of this difficulty, the verse can't be used as a proof passage that God is not a human being. There are two other proof passages, Numbers 23.19 and 1 Samuel 15.29, which are clear enough on that point that God is spirit. But they don't testify against the humanity of Jesus Christ as true God. They simply tell us that God, according to his divine nature, the God who created the universe and who sent his son to save us from our sins, that God is a spirit and not a mere mortal man, as we see in John 4.24. Now, Job's point here at the end of chapter 9 is that he wishes that there were someone who would go between him and God, summoned to to clasp them both on the shoulder and resolve their problems. But Job knows that nobody will clasp God on the shoulder. He doesn't have anybody like that. The pagans might dream of pantheons where one god or goddess speaks to the others when their tempters or, or tempers rather get the better of them. But in the true heaven, only God Almighty dwells, and there are no other gods beside him. If Job were your friend, what would you say to him? What blessings we have to know about Jesus, to know that God himself is our mediator. What a blessing that God's own son stands between the Father in heaven and us in our sins and his own life and death that made us one with God again. What a blessing to be able to take that message into the world, beginning with our own families and friends, and tell them that the suffering that Job went through doesn't have to be the suffering that anybody has to go through. We have a friend in Jesus, and there is no greater friend we could ever need. Through Jesus, we have forgiveness, and we have peace. Okay, I have one more note about the slime pit. 
Maybe you were thinking about that as I was talking about it. I want to just talk about the word uh, shachat, which is pit. It's often found as a parallel term for Sheol, the grave, in the Old Testament. Now, here in Job, it's, it's Job 9.31. We learn, that something, we learn something else, right, uh, rather, about the Canaanite idea of, of the place of the dead. Although there is a similar word that means filth or refuse, or what one would expect to find in a latrine in Lamentations 3. Here the word shachat appears to be a reference to just slimy ooze, such as the muddy quality of the realm of the dead in, in Ugaritic mythology. There was a god in, in, in the Ugaritic uh, pantheon called Mot, or death, who had a city called Slushy. No kidding, in Ugaritic it was Khamri, slushy. And the inside of this horrid, devouring throat of, of this god is described as, as constantly dripping, Mahamrat. The underworld was a loathsome place to the people of Ugarit and Canaan, not because it was a place of suffering or for sin, but because of its putrid slime. Um, in Isaiah 25.10, we have Moab will be trodden, trodden down in his place as straw is trodden down in the water of a manure pile. Now, although Joel believes in the existence of heaven and hell as we do, his picture of the place when, where dead bodies go is influenced by his surrounding cultures that saw Sheol as, or the grave as a horrendous, stinking cesspool. So, well, rejoice that you know Jesus who rescues us from hell and the grave and who has brought us into the opposite of all of that, which is the paradise of God. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. And now I'd like to share a mission blog update from the Wells Mission Blog. This post was first shared on July 27 of 2013, and it's titled, Not Playing Games. Missionary John Holtz serves in Malawi, Africa. Holtz tells the story of a Kim Dolly, a pastor serving in Wisconsin Sister Synod, the Church of Central Africa, Malawi Synod. People love to play games. Scrabble, Risk, Clue, Shoots and Ladders. The list is as endless and as long drawn out as a game of Monopoly. Then there is Chumba. The Chumba is Chitumbuka for the popular Malawan board game. It's similar to the count and capture game of Mancala. In Nichumba, the object is to eat up all your opponent's markers, whether they are marbles, seeds, or stones. I know a Wisconsin pastor who would love to challenge you if you know how to play and will teach you if you don't. His name is Pastor Akim Dali. He lives in Memphembre, Malawi, speaks Chitumbuka, and preaches on Sundays. He's married with children, skilled in mathematics, and has been playing his favorite game, Nichumba, for dozens of years. Pastor Dali doesn't live in Wisconsin, USA, but he has been a pastor at Wisconsin Lutheran Church in Mefembre, Malawi, for a total of 17 years. In addition to Wisconsin, he is also serving two other congregations as well, Mawula and Inwerkine. While visiting him at his home in Mefembre, I asked Pastor Dali what part of the pastoral ministry he enjoys most. He responded this way, To say the fact, as I see myself, I like almost all activities in the ministry. Here I mean things like missionary Holtz and Reverend Akim Dali at Wisconsin preaching, singing, evangelism, and visiting. Among all these, I choose preaching. Preaching is what Pastor Dali loves best, and he has been doing it for over 21 years. Pastor Dali was first ordained in 1992 and began his ministry in Wisconsin at Mifimbre. 
After some years, the Lord called him to another congregation. Pastor Dolly accepted the call and served in Mzimba for eight years. Pastor Dolly was then called back to Wisconsin where he is presently serving. Though an experienced stalwart preacher, Pastor Dolly still deems it important to study the art of preaching. He takes part in the monthly group in which they study and critique sermons. He's also a part of the professional development workshops. Pastor Dolly takes to heart Paul's instructions to Timothy. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. That's 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. Pastor Dolly mentioned that he preaches to less people during the rainy season. When the Lord sends rains, he often sends them in buckets. The rivers swell. People can't easily cross the raging river that separate their homes from the church. The waters are too deep and too dangerous to wade through. Pastor Dolly and the congregation are hoping that someday a bridge near Wisconsin Church could span the banks of the Jumbo River to allow for safe crossing. When Pastor Dolly is not in front of a congregation preaching law and gospel, you may just find him sitting in front of a board playing the chumba, eating up his opponents. Though it is a board game, Pastor Dolly regards Nichimba as something much more than a favorite hobby. Something even more than a mathematical challenge to stimulate his brain. He sees it as an opportunity to witness his faith. He makes this comment. Nichimba is very helpful to me. The game goes with mathematics, so it helps refresh my brain. This game mainly is played by adult people. You can find or learn who is not a member of the church. It creates friends, and you may share the gospel. For over two decades, he has been doing just that, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether behind a pulpit or in front of a Nichumba board. Though still strong of body and mind, Pastor Dolly is open about his thoughts of retirement. Here are his words. At this time, I'm very serious. God willing, in September or October, I will be home. I plan, when I am at home, to be a full farmer and at the same time assist whoever will be my pastor. Pastor Dolly may retire from the full-time ministry this year, but with God's help, he will never stop sharing his faith and pointing people to the cross of Jesus Christ. Pastor Dolly may retire from the full ministry this year, but with God's help, he will never stop sharing his faith and pointing people to the cross of Jesus Christ. Nachumba or not. So whether you are in Wisconsin, USA, or Wisconsin, Mifimbre, Malawi, ponder the significance of the cross as your own pastor preaches Christ crucified. Stand in the shadow of that tool of torture, and at the same time, stand in awe. Know that your salvation is sure. Believe that you are forgiven. Rejoice that Satan is defeated. Whisper a silent prayer of thanks. Our Savior was serious about getting us all home. He was not just playing games. To see the pictures associated with this blog entry, or to read up on more blog entries from the Wells Mission Group, visit blogs.wells.net slash missions. We end today with a song called Wedding Feast, which is a 2005 recording from a wedding service performed and written by Daryl and Helen Doverpool. Please visit the Apache Partners in Learning link to learn how you can support the Wells Ministry where Daryl is currently teaching. Jesus blessed are those who walk on paths that you prepare. You plot the course with perfect skill, you lead with loving care. And sometimes on that walk, dear Lord, when lonely seems the road, you bring another traveler to share the Lord, as we gather here, we pray, 
their blessings be increased. Lord, we thank you for this chance to share in their joyful wedding feast. Dear Lord, we know that here today that's just what you have done. To travelers met and by your grace they now go to episode 33 of Canaan Bound Podcast. This podcast was first shared in July of 2013. Visit Canaan Bound Podcast to learn how you can support the ministry of the Wells and of the artists featured in this podcast. Once again, my name is Philip. It was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 